is a fan-off production. Welcome, everyone. This is Erie International, episode 376. I'm Andy from Germany. And I'm Dave from the UK. I realized, Dave, from the UK, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) uh, including this episode, the last three episodes, we did actually in the system that we had originally intended for the show of rotating hosts so that each episode is hosted by two people and not three and we would rotate so that not each of us um, had to be on the show each week and the the last three episodes it was <coughs> you and David then David and myself and now the two of us <laughs> so Look at we've that. completed the circle <laughs> it's, it's almost like we did it on purpose we didn't but it's almost that way <laughs> yeah, so David is not with us today. He is busy this weekend. Um and today we will talk about the 1960 movie Village of the Damned because Dave Roberts brought up several adaptations of the John Wyndham novel The Midwich Cuckoos and we decided as we realized both of us hadn't really seen the original movie adaptation. Mm. Let's do an episode on it, and here we are. So, we are Erie International, of course, your weekly horror podcast via Fan of Media, um, which is owned and operated by the now not only infamous, but really famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Washington, who is all elite now. Isn't that a thing? Got his own graphic what a and everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's mad. I I did mention this on um, Generation Animation, which um, I've yes. still yet to edit, but we did record that last <laughs> night. Um, that it was one of those weird things where the the announcement went up that he was leaving Fightful, and I was like, ah, I did not see that. Uh, I wasn't uh, aware of that. Uh, yeah, so the it was announced ahead of time that he was leaving Fightful, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of speculation from a lot of people. And I didn't see many people speculating about the possibility of him going to AEW. In the back of my mind, I had this idea that maybe it was a possibility. But Mm -hmm. I think most people can probably relate to the, uh, especially if they have a friend that has got like the job they always wanted with like a a world famous company. Uh, You don't think it's necessarily on the cards until it happens. Even if you've got all the faith in the world in that person, you, you're still kind of like, yeah, it'd be nice, but come on, it's not going to happen. It's someone I know. And and then it happened. And I was just like, oh, this is cool. Um, because I, I was initially slightly concerned because, you know, you wouldn't step away from a job like Fightful, which is like, you know, essentially that was the job that Will was building his entire career towards, right? To be able to be paid to talk about uh, wrestling on a full-time basis 
and go to scrums and talk to wrestlers and interview people and and draw your living from talking about the thing that you love. And so for him to step away from that, it was either going to be because he had an exceptional uh, opportunity which he couldn't turn down or something really awful was happening. And I, I'm glad that it wasn't something awful and it was just like one of those huge opportunities. But, um, you know, there was that concern there. Um, and yeah, I'm just so made up for him. Like this is, as I've said, this is everything that he's been working towards for like 17, 18 years. Um, and I, I didn't kind of go the route that some people did where I, I posted this long... Um, kind of congratulations post or anything like that like i sent my personal congratulations to him of course but um you know i the one of the things that i have said and I'll, I'll say here again because it's pertinent to this show is that like without will there is no erie international there is no me you and david being friends because there wouldn't have been a hideous energy either um I mean, there possibly could have been a hideous energy, but certainly it wouldn't have been something like the chances of us finding it would have been lessened by the fact it wasn't on like a, a, a network. So, you know, there's an awful lot to be thankful to, to Will for in terms of like my friendship circle for certain. And I know that um, that, that you uh, would probably feel the same way, uh, given the fact that you know me, you and David are, are friends and obviously Austin as well, uh, purely down to the fact that Fanoff was a thing. Um and yeah, it's just, it's really cool to see a really good thing happen to a really good, good dude. Um, and you know, I, all the best for him. And, um, apparently his job is, he, he's going to be floating around a lot of different areas of the company. Uh, one of the main things and people that know Will will know that he's got an absolute steel trap of a memory for wrestling facts and sh- stupid things that nobody else can remember. You know, like you would say, I remember one time when, I don't know, RVD and Kane had a tag team match and Kane ended up taking his mask off and choke slamming RVD. And Will will just say, oh yeah, March 2006, episode so-and-so of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> oh, it was held in this town as well. And you're just like, Will, have you got Wikipedia open? And he's like, no, I just remember that shit. Like, the dude is just an encyclopedia for wrestling knowledge. And so the fact that AEW are going to be leaning on him as kind of like a a keeper of continuity is a really cool thing because that's something that he's said wwe needs for years because there doesn't seem to be much in the way of continuity certainly no one that keeps a check on these things and um as as a young company as aew is there's already one or two times where the continuity hasn't quite followed through Uh, so to have someone like will there who's going to be involved in that as well as social media live events um i think he's going to have a little bit of an input into storylines as well which probably comes from the continuity standpoint uh it's just such a good fit and it's a really great appointment and uh you know obviously he's, he's a, a friend so I'm, I'm gonna say this anyway but i genuinely do mean it like i think that he's gonna be an absolute perfect fit for that job and uh, I, I really look forward to seeing how he does in the next year or so. That's probably why 
Tony Khan gave him a contract because everyone says that Tony Khan is such a person that knows every little detail yeah. from decades of wrestling and, and can can talk about that. You, so you need the, to have both of them. Around. They probably have conversations where everyone is just, oh, they're at it again. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. they're having fun. <laughs> my, my understanding is that there's like direct line of communication between uh, Tony Khan and, and Will. So mm-hmm. it, it's not like he's like his right hand man or anything. I'm not trying to make it out like Will is now the second most powerful man in the company or anything. But I, I think that that company's dynamic is that if you want to talk to Tony, you can talk to Tony. Um, and uh, I, I think it's it's always good, uh, you know, the fact that, that Tony Khan is a guy that has that kind of mind as well. It's good that there are now two people that can bounce off of each other because I think Khan has always been referred to and, and kind of framed as a guy that's very much a big fan of WCW. And sometimes he falls into the same traps that WCW did. Um, not many of them get, don't get me wrong. Like he's done a lot more right than he's done wrong. Um, but I think that you need other people around you who can kind of not course correct, but you need those weights and balances and checks and things like that. And, and soundboards as much as anything, you need people to bounce ideas off of and to compare ideas and to come up with alternative ideas. Um, like Vince Russo, when he was in WCW, didn't have someone to filter his ideas. And look what happened to that company inside the space of two years. It was dead. Um, for Tony to have someone, uh, and he has lots of people that he can do this with. Um, he, Lever Bates has been one that um, has been uh, kind of involved with the whole continuity thing, I believe. Um, but it sounds like she might be wrapping up her time with the company. I'm not 100% on that. It's, that's just something I've heard out in the yeah, wild. Bianca told me that she, she had left. I haven't seen that either but i'm not as um as up to things as she is but mm. yeah she she told me that that Leva bates um left okay i mean she's like world marvel snap champion now so she doesn't need aew anymore <laughs> let's be fair uh when you're the world marvel snap champion what the hell do you need wrestling for <laughs> i'm being facetious um but yeah, it's a great appointment. I'm really looking forward to seeing how things go. And uh, if nothing else, this kind of makes it slightly more certain that Will is probably going to be in London come uh, August for All In. So I'm kind of looking forward to... I'm, I'm going to send him a message and see whether he fancies just kind of like bumming around London and taking in the sights. Um, but yeah, really, really pleased for him. Yeah, absolutely. So... Back to the horror business of Erie International. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Erie International on Twitter. We are at Erie INT and we are Erie International on Instagram and Facebook. That's the channels where we announce um, when we release new episodes and announce the upcoming topics for new episodes. Um, At the end of this episode, we will announce uh, a new short series that we will do from next week on. Um, we do have an email address, eerieinternational at gmail.com, where you can send us messages, um, tell us which episodes you liked or disliked, uh, which movies you watched, which movies you would like to recommend for our show. So uh, get in touch and, and let us know what's going on. <clears throat> and with that, that's see if we have anything to talk about before we get to Village of the Damned. So for 
Dave, it's been two weeks since you recorded, so mm. maybe you have something. <laughs> Got a couple of things. Um, nice. neither of which are going to be particularly impressive because it's stuff I would have watched anyway. <laughs> I um I went back to you remember that this kind of all kicked off when I started talking about a um a, a radio version of Village of the Damned from 1982 that I had listened to um as part of a YouTube channel that I I tend to put on at night just to kind of like soothe me to sleep with nightmare images. Um, I went back and finally kind of listened to the whole thing, um, beginning to end. Uh, so it's spread over three episodes. It's about an hour and a half in total length and, um, very good. Wasn't expecting the ending, uh, because this, I actually finished this before I watched the film. Um, so, uh, the, the ending was not one that I was particularly familiar with, of course. And, uh, it, it's not one that I was expecting and, uh, it was very well done. Uh, the the voice acting continued to be good. The sound design continued to be good. I've talked about this before, so I don't know, need to really go into detail with it. Um, oh, well, we will get to comparisons oh, later. Oh, yeah, definitely. sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I overall, I was very impressed with it, and um, I, I would recommend it. So I think what I'm going to do is when I post the episode, if I can remember to do this, I'm going to link to that video by putting a, a hyperlink. I think that's what they're still called um, in the um, in the text. So you can just click on uh, if you go down to the uh, the uh, to the listeners now because Andy already knows this. Um, <laughs> uh, when you uh, listen to our episodes, if you go down into the uh, the, the text section, which is attached. Uh, the show notes and stuff you'll see a list of everything that we talked about this week um one of those things will be listed as like uh village of the damned radio uh show 1982 if you click on that it should take you directly to the video if it doesn't then i'll just uh, list the actual youtube link somewhere on the description so you can find it yourselves but uh, i would recommend checking it out because it's uh it's a it's a good time filler hour and a half you can put it on in the background and just have it on while you're doing other stuff i've often done that with uh audio dramas and uh, i i can't say enough good things about it i think it's really well done and the audio quality for a 1982 production i don't know if they went back and found the original recording or if somebody just got a really really good quality recording off of an fm um uh, uh, signal, but it's uh, it's clean as a whistle. It's it's very very clear. So uh, yeah, there was that. And uh, the only other thing that really fits in is um, the thing that we talked about on on the Generation Animation this week. Um, TV series from my childhood back in 1986. The creators of Stop It and Tidy Up decided that they wanted to make an animated series about um, a bunch of monsters that live in a castle. And they came up with the idea for The Trapdoor, which is a claymation TV show uh, about a, a blue monster called Burke, who is a bit of a dog's body for the thing that lives upstairs. Uh, he talks with a West Country accent. And, um, oh, globbits. He, uh, he's got a mate called Boney, who is literally just a skeleton head uh, that can talk. And he's very dry-witted. Uh, and uh, there's like a little spider creature, which is almost like a little yapping dog, um, whose name I can't remember right now. But uh, every week, it's five minutes per episode at most, and every week it's literally just a case of 
um, the trap door opens. Either somebody opens it or it opens by itself and a new monster escapes and it's up to Burke to put things right and to uh, get the door closed again. It's a really, really fun kids program. It's very bright and very colourful. Um, but it definitely has like a horror vibe to it. It's, it's kind of like, and I don't mean this in an, um, offensive way, but it is basically baby's first horror series, right? Because it, it does have that kind of haunted castle vibe and it's got monsters and it's got things eating other things, but it's not bloody. It's not ultra violent or anything like that. If there is any violence, it's very much in the, sense of kids cartoons and and tv where it's very over the top uh cartoonish violence you know bonked on the head always got a lump he's seeing stars etc um but yeah it's it's fun but it's not a show that you can really marathon which is a shame because that's the nature of how we watch these shows when we're reviewing them so there's a two-hour video on youtube of all of the episodes there's 40 episodes in total uh, they made one series of 25 episodes back in 1986 and then a further 15 as a follow-up around 1990, if I remember correctly. So it's 40 in total. And um, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't really work as a, as a binge show just because of the fact that every episode is very, very similar in terms of its structure and content. Um, but if you were watching it one at a time over the course of a few weeks, I, I think that that is the way to get a little bit more enjoyment out of it. And also, and again, like I, I, I'm at pains whenever we talk about Gen, uh, stuff on Gen Anne. If it's something that, that's aimed at kids, and I, I think most of my co-hosts are very much uh, with me on this one, you try not to patronize young kids because they're smarter than you probably think they are. They can pick up on a lot more things than than a lot of people give credit for. That being said, younger kids are able to enjoy simple things a lot better and with a lot less uh, of a critical eye than the more mature audiences. And so you can get away with 40 episodes where the basic concept is exactly the same and they'll just watch it and laugh because it's funny old Burke, you know, chasing his, you know, chasing things like a blue ass fly. Um, but it's it's a great series. I did you didn't get it. I, I suppose by 1986 you weren't watching kids TV anyway, Andy. But um, oh no, no, actually no, you would have been. Um, are you at all familiar? <laughs> I'm I'm getting my years mixed up terribly. I'm like, hang on, I was only born in '83. Of course, Andy wouldn't have been out of childhood yet. Um, were you aware of of the trapdoor at all? Did it make its way to Germany? I just looked it up on IMDb and looked at some pictures because we did have claymation. Mm shows um, in Germany but those pictures did not seem familiar to me so I okay. don't think that they showed it here in Germany and if if it had been on TV I would have probably seen it because I saw a lot <laughs> <laughs> didn't we all <laughs> but yeah and then in in so I'm born in 76 so mid 80s so when when the show came out if I remember correctly 84 to 86 yeah it would have been eight or so okay. um pushing um, the boundary of of being yeah. maybe slightly too old for it then probably yeah yeah and the thing that you said about binging these shows of course that's not how they were intended to be watched and probably most kids didn't probably even see all 40 episodes because sometimes you're not home when it's on and then 
it's gone. <laughs> you're, you're not watching it on Netflix episode by episode. You just watch an episode once a week uh, amongst other things, probably during some sort of afternoon programming where there's several shows that they show each week and, and that five-minute bit is just one part of the whole program. Mm. And But it sounds nice. I thought it, it, it looked good. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I will watch an episode or two on, on YouTube. I think it's good dumb fun. You know, it's the sort of thing yeah. that you can you can watch an ad as an adult and you can appreciate it for what it is without yeah. being like, okay, I need to necessarily watch all of this now. Um but it's it's yeah. fun enough. I, I, I remember when we did our episode on, on salad fingers. Oh. Um <laughs> talk about which, diametric opposites. <laughs> yeah, but I mean content wise maybe, but on the other hand, um I may have had a, a similar problem watching a thing um, that's not not in the way that it came out, that it was released, but sure. very compressed. Mm. Uh, after three episode, episodes, you're thinking, well, I don't know. This, do I really need to see all see all of this? And and yeah. forty episodes for two and a half hours. Uh, that's that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, of repetition, and it, of course, and you're. The episodes are over so quick. By episode seven, you've forgotten episode one, and mm. you don't really have a chance to really get into one episode or one film because it's already over, and the next one is starting again. And that's that's a lot to to watch in a very short amount of time. So yeah, mm. but I I don't think uh, one um, uh, it's 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 not to the benefit of the show if you watch it that compressed. No, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's it for me for this week. I can't think of any. I was going to try and watch um, the uh, at least another episode of the Midwich Cuckoos, which was the um, the recent uh, drama adaptation of uh, the Children of the Damned, or or rather, I should call it the Midwich Cuckoo, Cuckoos, the um, the 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 novel. But uh, I just kind of ended up watching the Flash instead. <laughs> because <laughs> they're both on now tv and i suddenly realized that season seven was back up on now tv to to watch sorry season eight so um i'm kind of catching up on that so that i don't end up in the same situation as i was last time where oh we finished watching season nine so now it's not available to stream until a, a ridiculous six months later when suddenly for some weird reason we have the rights back so uh yeah apologies for that but i'll get around to it i'm sure i will the first episode was still decent, but um, you know, it's. I'm, I'm not sure that being a mini series of, I think, was it seven episodes? I feel like seven episodes is too long, um, especially considering that the audio drama seemed to do a decent job in an hour and a half, three episodes. <laughs> so I don't know, and they've got a lot more to do because they have to tell everything. You know, it's not like a TV where you can show and not tell. You have to literally spell everything out for people yeah. in an audio drama because otherwise you just aren't going to get what's happening. Not unless you have exceptional sound design. Um, but here you go. Yeah, so that's everything for me. Um, Andy, yeah. what have you been up to? Uh, nothing. I ah. want to add, add, <laughs> add uh, something to the um, TV adaptation versus radio adaptation. Mm. 
neither of us have read the book, so of course we do not know what they may have cut for the radio adaptation from sure. from the story, which maybe is in the TV adaptation, and that's why the TV adaptation is longer than the radio adaptation. That's th 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 those are things that we cannot really uh, talk about that we just don't know. But yeah, and and I mean we we'll get into it, but uh, back then when we uh, or when when you brought up the, I guess it was during the 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 first time you brought up the the audio adaptation we we looked it up and, and realized there's several audio adaptations of the novel um during mm. the the decades throughout the decades and anyway no this week was was, was mm, slow horror wise busy otherwise uh, so i didn't see I, i saw barely anything this week so yeah i, I had quite a few things last time when i had a fantasy film fest and and two weeks <laughs> yeah yeah uh, two weeks of worth of things to talk about so nothing nothing today fair um, enough <laughs> and i can already announce next week will also be very busy i will also not have time to watch anything so uh but we will have uh, hopefully three hosts and a very interesting topic next week so i'm sure we will have enough to talk about let's get to our main topic which we've already talked about a bunch uh, village of the damned is a 1960 british science fiction horror film by anglo anglo-german director wolf riller The film is adapted from the novel The Midwich Cuckoos, 1957, by John Wyndham. The lead role of Professor Gordon Zellaby was played by George Sanders. So this uh, summary says nothing about the plot. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I'll just add on a sequel, Children of the Damned, 1964, followed, as did a remake, also called Village of the Damned, 1995. That 1995 adaptation, of course, directed by John Carpenter. Mm. So, now, we watched the movie. Dave, do you want to give us a short synopsis of the story? I can do, yeah. Um, so, in, in the small and sleepy town of Midwich, everybody collapses uh, around about 11 o'clock, one fine morning. Uh, nobody can get in without also losing consciousness, and nobody can get out because, obviously, they're all unconscious. Eventually, everyone wakes up. Uh, no explanation is given. But then it turns out that all of the women are pregnant. Uh, they give birth to uh, rapidly aging children of golden hair, which is weird and flat on one side. And then weird shit starts happening as the children demonstrate mental powers far beyond those of humans. How's that? Well, absolutely wonderful. Lovely. <laughs> I've been working on it. <laughs> yeah, you, you ingested three adaptations of You'd the novel. You'd hope I understood what was going on, right? <laughs> I need to do this more often. Okay, how many versions of this are there? Like, let's watch all of them. <laughs> We haven't done a Scream Make episode in quite some time, I think. So mm. um, uh, we, we should schedule one. At some point. Or is there maybe even something coming up that is at least close to a Scream Make episode? Hmm, I would hint, maybe hint. argue there is, yes. <laughs> you could argue this is going to be a Scream Make because of the observations that I shall have. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Close to it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, Village of the Dam, 1960, a British film on Wikipedia. You can 
course, all read the uh, read all the of the production history it was supposed to be an American film first. Uh, several directors, writers, and, and actors had been attached to the project, and then things changed, and it ended up being a British film filmed I, uh, in in England um, with British actors and this Anglo-German director, who I was not aware of before we. Um, yeah, looked into this movie. So, Will Thriller. What a name! Uh, <laughs> really just, I mean, everyone knows we're we're going to pass mention on this eventually. What a goddamn name that is! Um, in fact, didn't David when we uh, when we were talking about this, he he made mention of it. Yeah, uh, he I'm had trying a strong to reaction to the name. <laughs> he did have a strong reaction to the name. It's it's a shame that he can't make this uh, this episode because uh, I'm sure he would have spoken more on it. But yeah, like that—that's a hell of a name. I, I didn't realize that he was Anglo-German, but it does make perfect sense. Um, Jesus Christ, 1960, and people had names like that. Where did we go wrong? <laughs> Where did we go wrong? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. His Wikipedia article uh, doesn't really state from a quick glance where maybe his family was originally from where this name comes from. He was born in Berlin. That's mm. what I can find here. And at some point, it seems he or the family immigrated to to England. Anyway, so yeah, 1960, um, black and white, an hour and 17, roughly. And I was surprised at the pacing or by the pacing and the structure of the movie. Um, Dave just mm. gave us a synopsis, so there's there's, there's, there's quite a lot going on with, <laughs> with the movie, starting out with a telephone call, and the person on the telephone just suddenly drops to the floor, is unconscious, people are trying to call again, and we see the... the what are, what are they called? The the telephone connector ladies. Uh, oh yeah, like the telephone exchange or operator or yeah. Oper- op- operator. Yeah, I think that's the term that they used in the movie as well. The operator. Again, un- people are unconscious, and then we go to like a like a military base because the it's the brother-in-law of the first the, the protagonist that uh, the, the guy that we saw first. He's some some military dude, and he says, "Well, to his commander, I'll I'll go and and." check what's going on there and then he meets the policeman and then we see the policeman drop unconscious as soon as he reaches a certain point we see the mm. the bus uh, by the side of the road with all of these unconscious people that the military comes in and they try to get there and the the, the soldier drops unconscious and, and it takes quite a long time before we even get to 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 the to the villages really that they come back um to to conscious again and and i was surprised for a movie that is pretty short with about 77 minutes how long it took to really get going what i found very Mm. interesting was that the the title um came relatively late which something we've watched some old movies recently and I think a main difference between old movies and modern movies is modern movies you usually get like 
the title and the the main names um, in the beginning of the movie, but the the real credits are only after the movie. Old movies end with the title "The End." <laughs> that's that's that, that's all, and everything else is in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the credits. There are some films that double dip. They will give you like yeah. all of the credits at the beginning, and then oh, just in case you forgot, here's all of the credits at the end again. And honestly, I'm not mad at that. I actually quite like that. Um, but yeah, something about modern movies where like some of them will still follow this old pattern where they will give you the credits of like you know the the main actors at the beginning of the movie, and then they might not even give you the credit uh, of what the the film is called until quite late into the movie like and i i I do this all the bloody time but i can't think of any specific examples right now but i'm certain in the last two or three years i've seen at least one or two movies where the actual name of the movie has not appeared until like half an hour into the film yeah mandy was an example that did that okay recently um famously (laughs) and i saw a movie at at the fantasy film fest nights recently um mother may i that was also a movie that not not half an hour but late by that point you had already forgotten that you that there were that there wasn't a title <laughs> the, mm. the, the movie was already completely in its story and then at some point suddenly the title comes up and, and of course with mandy it was extreme how late the title um came onto the screen and with with um, Village of the Damned, I, w- I was surprised, uh, and and also uh, so I liked that very much. And I immediately had other examples in my head where you have the you pretty much have a a cold open. You get a piece of the story like the, the the setup, and then the title comes up, and and the, the movie really um, gets going. And mm. but that is something that I did not expect from a movie from nineteen sixty. Because I think that most movies during that time did titles first and then mm, yeah. the film. So it felt, it, in in that sense, it felt like a relatively modern opening to a movie. Mm, mm. And I suppose something that we're quite fortunate about is is the fact that you know. We're, being born in like the late seventies, early eighties, a majority of the movies that we watched that were kind of brought out contemporarily um, had already figured themselves out. And going back to movies, even like at the beginning of the sixties, like it's still a relatively new medium. Um, m- movies in general had—I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting when the first motion pictures came out. Now, I think it was before the turn of the of the 20th century so it was like late 1800s but yeah. certainly like talkies and films as we came to know them we've already um talked about kind of like the the birth of um of, of the talkies so you're talking late 20s kind of mid to late 20s maybe early um you've only got like 30 40 years of of development there and and although things can develop very quickly there are some things that just are always done a certain way because there's no need to do them differently. And I think that titles are one of them. Um, And so it wasn't until you got filmmakers coming along after this point where they were just like, well, I'm just going to play around with it a little bit. Like, it's my movie. People know what movie they're coming to see. 
So I'm going to sit them down and I'm going to give them like a 10, 15 minute intro where I'm going to establish the story. I'm going to set everything up and then I'm going to drop the title on them. And like that is the indicator of like, right, OK, shit got real. Like this is where the movie really starts. I'll get all of that stuff out of the way first and then we hit it. And and it's used mm. kind of as a narrative device as well yeah. because during the opening credits we see scenes from the village where everything is asleep mm. so the that time for the credits is used to establish the current situation to show more of the mystery mm. that the those first few minutes had set up so those to give us the the atmosphere um the, the the empty streets people being unconscious in in their homes and stuff while the credits are on screen which is something that very much reminded me of one of my favorite openings to in that case a a tv mini series and that is mick garris's adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is something that impacted me so much when I saw that as probably a teenager. Yeah. Because it's, all, again, a cold open. We see this military base and something goes wrong and this virus gets out and, and everyone drops uh, dead and, and one person manages to get in, in their car and, and leave the base. And, and from that point on, we, we know the that the virus will spread. And then the the credits kick in, the music kicks in, which is um, Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. Mm. And during the song and the credits, we see camera footage from within the base where all the people are just... Just lying there dead. dead lying yeah. around, right such an effective opening and yeah. you want to talk about like efficiencies of filmmaking films before this era the the ones that we've watched from before this era a majority of them and i'm not going to make a blanket um, statement of all of these movies did this because it's patently not going to be true but a lot of them will just have like i mean take um uh, i walked with a zombie right from from a few weeks ago it's literally just oh here's a nice seascape and here's the credits over the top of it okay so what are you actually telling me well they're on an island that's about it that's all that i can glean from those credits um if you look at the credits for village of the damned or as you've just mentioned there um the uh, mick garris uh the, the stand they're telling you a story while giving you the information of who's in the movie and who the gaffer was and who the director was and who produced it and all that stuff so it's an efficiency. You're taking two things that take time to establish and you're smashing them together because neither of them is so concentration intensive that you can't pay attention to the other at the same time. And that's one of those things that I really appreciate in a movie, uh, especially when it's a movie that's as brief as this one is. Like you said, it was 77 minutes the wrong yeah. time. Yeah. That's really, really good. Really good. Because they spend a long time setting all of this up. Yeah. But to me, I actually like the way that they set this up because in the adaptations that I've been familiar with to this point, both the more recent TV version, uh, the, the Midwich Cuckoos, and the radio adaptation, um, they just kind of establish, well, this happened and then the army and the police are aware of it. And they don't show you how they make that, that leap in 
understanding of okay well people over there have, have been knocked out how do we know you know how do we know not to go there and be knocked out ourselves and in this film they establish it and some people might say it was a little bit ham-fisted i actually think it's about as elegant a solution as i could come up with which is the policeman on his bike turning up and of course the the guy is the brother of uh, the doctor in town so they know each other because small communities especially in the 60s you knew your local bobby and so there's this nice friendly kind of like conversation between them they spot the bus the policeman goes on ahead falls off his bike and immediately this guy from the military is like okay i ain't going over there because clearly something is wrong and then you see the methodology of their testing which is something you see in midwich cuckoos um from um is it an hbo original i should look that up i will in a minute um you see them doing this testing where somebody's in a hazmat suit and he's got a um a, a, a rope tied to him and he walks into the zone and collapses and then they pull him out and he recovers again and so they're able to establish what's going on through um this methodology of testing which was something that i really appreciated in this film that not only did you see the testing of the limits, but you also saw how they initially discovered there was something wrong. Because that is a question that could kind of sit and you could kind of be there thinking, okay, this is all well and good, but how did they figure out they can't go that far? Like, where did, how did they find the perimeter? And the, um, for me, the icing on the cake was the little budgie in the cage. Like the, um, the, the minor bird, I suppose you could call it. Um, uh, yeah. of mm. course, when, uh, back in the days where we didn't have the technology that we had little badges that could um, find carbon monoxide and things like that people would take budgies down into the mines with them um, to uh, test for gas if because the bird has a much lower tolerance if the bird cacks it then you know you need to get out of there quick smart and so they use that idea and then they have the budgie kind of like oh no i'm fine kind of you know it gets up and it's fine um it's a really clever idea Animal rights activists might not be too pleased with it, but ultimately, in in this test case, it's it's not harming the bird. The bird may lay, may lay eggs later. I don't know. Did we ever think about the fact that these birds might end up with uh, psychic powers as well? Oh boy, I, I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't think so. <laughs> Here I am asking That's... the big questions. That's where uh, Hitchcock's The Birds kicks in. <laughs> oh wait, do you think that the bird actually would have given birth to a cuckoo? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're right, though. I, th I think Hitchcock overlaps this tremendously well. Um, in fact, that might be my double feature pick. Um, but yeah, like, I, I really like the opening. I, I think, yes, they do spend a lot of time on it, but I don't feel like it's ever ponderous. Like It, it, it works for me. Um, and I, I like to think that the makers of the most recent adaptation looked back on this and they looked at all these scenes of people in their homes unconscious and like an iron slowly burning through a hole through someone's clothes and a tap overflowing into a in, into a, a tub. And they took those ideas and they used some of them for the modern remake because you, you see everyone keeling over in, in the, uh, the newest one. You also see somebody um, puts a, a pot of water on to boil and then for some reason the gas cuts out and then it comes back in. And so now you've got a gas leak going on with somebody, uh, you know, asleep on the floor. Um, yeah. So it's some really good imagery in, in that film. You said they were pretty clever. 
um, with their use of the of the bird. They're pretty irresponsible when it comes to human life because yeah. the way that they <laughs> try to gauge the the area where mm. people fall unconscious from the air is uh, pretty irresponsible because <laughs> so this guy has seen several people uh, at least two people and a bird just drop unconscious immediately as soon as they step over a certain line on the street yeah but with a guy in a plane they tell him just go lower and lower and as soon as you feel something immediately uh, go up again mm. uh, and of course that doesn't work uh, because that the guy on the street wasn't even able to feel something and take a step back they just yeah. dropped unconscious immediately you would have thought uh, that he would feed that back to them yeah <laughs> so that it's was so pretty dumb. weird how how the, could they think well didn't work with uh our our guy on the street but it will work with our guy in the plane <laughs> yeah it's it, that is in insanely dumb um the only thing that i can say on that front is i know that neither of us has read the book but that is one of the story beats that is common among all three versions that i've seen uh seen and heard um all right this is a plane where the other two is a helicopter but you do still have somebody flying over the area and falling unconscious and and a big fireball ensuing so i think that that is squarely on the shoulders of the author rather than the filmmakers that's not to say mm. the filmmakers couldn't decide not to do it you know, but I guess it makes for an interesting set piece and something a bit spectacular. Uh, my biggest issue is the fact that the um, the often mentioned uh, Midwich Cuckoos, uh, the the modern um, TV miniseries, which I shall now just refer to as the miniseries for clarity, because it's too much to say otherwise. They had the option because it's set in contemporary times. They absolutely had the option and should have just sent a drone in. Like, there's no reason to send a, a manned helicopter into the zone when you can send uh, a uh, a drone in there. Because it's established that machinery still works. It's not like an EMP zone where suddenly everything electrical just stops working. It's just living things that shut down and go unconscious. Uh, you know, dogs, birds, people, whatever. You know, I would have liked it if like cats were like, no, nah, no, nah, we're, we're not, we're not knocked <laughs> unconscious because we're assholes. We just, <laughs> we, we just fucking do what we want. You know, like that would have been typical of them. They sleep all the time anyway. So now they're wide awake. But that, that was like my one problem with the miniseries was like, we're in a modern day with modern technology. I know, roughly speaking, what protocol is for some of these things, and it does not include flying people into that zone. If you need an aerial view of anything now, it, apart from anything else, it is so much cheaper to have a drone operator just pop a drone in there and mm. have a look around. The cameras that these drones carry are so high um, def now. Some of them carry 4K cameras on them. There's absolutely no reason why you can't just put an unmanned probe into the area and just have a snoop around. Um, but I guess they were going for some level of um, fidelity to the original novel. Yeah. I can't blame them for that, but it is a dumb fucking decision to of make. <laughs> <laughs> so I completely stand with you on that one, Andy. <laughs> 
Yeah, as I said, to me it was just surprising knowing that the movie is relatively short, realizing how kind of slow and long all that build-up is in the beginning, mm -hmm. because I, I would have expected a, a quicker pace to get to the actual um, story of the children. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that was, again, just something that I, that I didn't quite expect. And But then the, the story of the children is told relatively quickly because the, the children, as you said, they they grow up at an um, unnatural speed. So at some point they say that like the the five month fetus is the size of a seven month yeah. fetus, and the I don't know, uh, I, don't, I think on Wikipedia it said something like the, the three year old children behave like four times their age or whatever that was Something my understanding like that. yeah the, the the majority of of the film when the kids are are, are as old as they're going to get for reasons that we will uh, talk about later um i think three years have passed so they're definitely aging at an accelerated rate and they seem to act even more mature beyond the years that they physically yeah. appear as well they which is always worrying speak <laughs> like adults um Mm. Uh, they they definitely definitely do not behave like children. They always go around in in packs. They don't really play at all. They yeah. definitely don't play with the other kids. Do you know what it reminded me of? Strangely, was an episode of the original series of Star Trek, where and and for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the episode, the aliens involved, or the na name of the drink that he ends up offering them at the end. But basically. It's um it's a very famous alien, which it makes it all the worse. I can't remember the name of it because it appears in the end credits of every TOS episode that you ever watch. It's like the one that's green skinned, big bulbous head, typical alien looking thing, right? And they go this whole episode kind of playing this cat and mouse game, and then it ends up turning out that the alien is just an explorer and didn't want any trouble and he invites them on board and it turns out that the alien is actually kind of like a Wizard of Oz kind of thing and that the actual alien is this thing that it, it looks like a very small child except that they dub over the top of this kid talking with like an adult's voice <laughs> and it's just yeah. the most incongruous thing um, to watch. It's very, very strange. And like he he offers them a drink and they just sit down and have a chat and it all works out. But it reminded me of that because it felt very much like all the children were dubbed over the top. Yeah, I I thought so too. Mm. Um, I don't think that was their own voice. It, it seemed like those are more older voices, more adult yeah. voices than the 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 actual acting kids. Yeah, mm. I I'm not sure. Because I, I I try to find the the Star Trek alien because I immediately when you started talking I had one in mind I'm not sure if it is exactly but there's this famous episode where a very very young Clint Howard Ron Howard's brother plays in a a kid sized adult alien oh that may very uh, well be him um, oh Balok Balok uh, yeah it's Balok uh, yeah Clint Howard. Yeah. yeah, and voiced by Walker Edmiston. Oh, there you go then. Yeah, Clint Howard, Ron Howard's brother, who appears in virtually every Ron Howard movie uh, and in 
many, many other movies. See, so. now that you mention him, and I'm looking at a picture of him again, yeah, that's a Howard kid. <laughs> that is, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. you can't help but like I can see Bryce in there. I can see. Yeah, I can, I can see all of them in that face. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the family resemblance is absolutely astounding in the Howard family. It is absolutely mad. I wish I could remember the name of the, the drink. I'm, I'm scouring uh, Memory Alpha uh, on fandom.com to try and find the name of the drink. Because um, it's such a... Trania. That's it. Can I offer you a drink of Trania? We relish it. That's a great line. <laughs> oh man yeah i'm glad that we got to the bottom of that thank you andy <laughs> that was a fun diversion and well worthwhile just for realizing that the howards are everywhere <laughs> so the kids behave weirdly and everyone realizes it the other kids tease them and then of course people realize that these new children with their platinum blonde hair have kind of psychic powers which mm. of course is scary um <laughs> And um, they they learn quickly, and then they have like telekinetic, telekinetic, or telepathic connections. Mm. That if one child learns something, all of them know. They're, they're like the Borg in that way. Yeah, uh, they're like, like a, a shared consciousness. Um, yeah. It it varies from adaptation to adaptation. I think my understanding from from what i've seen is that the original idea was that all of the boys share their knowledge with each other and all of the girls share their knowledge with each other but they can't communicate telepathically between the sexes um and i know in the, in the radio adaptation they refer to the boys and the girls because there's 61 of these kids in um, in in the radio adaptation, there's a lot less in the film, of course. Um, they refer to the 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 male as being a single male organism split over thirty one bodies, and the female being the same but split over thirty. And that's just a really weird way of referring to it, but it's, it's very alien, and it works. <laughs> and it's. Very telling that, of course, there's more men than women in this case. <laughs> of course, of course. I could have those numbers the wrong way around, to be fair. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just, I, I love the language they used in that adaptation. Um, and, and they used the same trick as well, the the the, the, the box with the hidden opening mm. and a barley sugar inside. And they, they used that testing methodology in both. So, again, I think that's definitely something that comes from the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how much is shared between the film and the radio show. It seems like they are probably both very faithful adaptations in the parts that they adapted. Because again, we do not mm. really know what they may have left off. Yeah, I think they share cliff notes. Yeah, and and it's possible that the radio adaptation might be informed by the movie as well. Uh, May 22 sure. years later, they may yeah. very well have decided that in order to make an adaptation that people would recognize, they should go off of the cliff notes of what the, the movie left in and, and took out. Mm -hmm. So until I have read the book, which 
let's be honest, it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> um, until I do that, I wouldn't be able to say for sure. Um, I suppose I could skim the Wikipedia, but let's be honest, there's no value in doing that because they'll probably leave stuff out as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, there's several scenes that I really quite liked in the movie. First, when I, th I liked when the the sequence when the the, the the town and the women realize that all the women are pregnant and um for some of them there there was no possibility that they could have become pregnant in a natural way so they are pretty devastated and then there's others where the husband was away for a year and has just oh, returned and yeah. learns that his his wife is pregnant um and of course uh there's a big misunderstanding <laughs> because no one uh, obviously at this point believes that um, the the women have become pregnant in in unnatural ways so these these different variations of a woman is pregnant we see our our protagonist and, and his wife and she's pregnant so they they are very happy because they wanted to have a child and at that point they still believe um it is their normally conceived natu naturally conceived child but then of course there is these other girls and there's there's like this conversation with the the priest the vicar um yeah. about uh yeah all, all the the women and, and underage women and unmarried women and every every woman of childbearing age is pregnant and uh and i i <laughs> i liked how they how they spoke around the 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 terminology mm. because of course in the 1960s they they were in 1960 it isn't even the 60s it is 1960 mm. uh, when this movie comes out uh so swinging london and, and everything is still still ahead of us um so uh they 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 can't really say words like sex or anything <laughs> even <Yeah. laughs> um and that was was pretty interesting how they circumvented that with with way more complicated phrasing <laughs> hey look if there's one thing that you can rely on for the british at least you could at one point it's coming up with flowery language that covers over the true meaning um it's uh i i like that scene as well i i like the way that they didn't shy away from the effect that these unexpected pregnancies would have on all of the women in different um situations Like I like how some of them are women who had maybe been trying for children for ages and weren't able to get pregnant, and suddenly, like you know, their prayer has been answered almost. Um, the, the the young mother of like seventeen years old with the father that's absolutely furious, but he can't really do anything because there's no one to blame. He's not going to have a go at his daughter, so he he wants to blame the father. But how can you blame the father when he, he's basically like a radio wave? um you can't can you um it, it didn't pull its punches and i appreciated that like i think they mentioned the fact that somebody hangs themselves in this one um it's definitely something that happens in the the radio adaptation i haven't got far enough along in the miniseries to know for sure what happens with some of those but um i I appreciate the fact that in 1960, as you said, you know, this was a, a very different time, a more closeted time. 
they really did over time to try and get around using certain words, but also didn't shy away from talking about how these unexpected pregnancies were having an effect on the women. And and let's be honest, like if we were to, if someone was to write this story today, it it's very clear that it's an allegory for for rape, right? Like these women have all been impregnated against their will regardless of whether they wanted a baby or not. And so really it looks into the effect that that can have on women, but it kind of sanitizes it to the point where that point is lost in in this version of the story. I think if it was written mm. today, it may very well be a lot more on the nose and very blunt about the fact. Um, and it concentrates a lot more on the children and the fact that they're alien invaders from another world rather than the emotional effect and the effect on the community of so many women basically being forced into having children um yeah i think that's that's two different stories i think i think Mm. but both would probably be too much for one story and because you're discussing different things at that point i think that there is a story there where people people unexpectedly pregnant and then you discuss the ramifications and the fallout and and and, and the reactions um in that situation but you probably have to stay with the pregnancy and this so so you you in i guess in that case you cannot tell the story of the children as they do mm. in in this story where that, that is the the main focus women unexpectedly get pregnant and then we learn it is by um by by alien um intervention mm. and and um the, the the story of the children is what's of interest for for village of the damned both would probably be too much i guess Although the more I think about it, I'm not going to press this issue for much longer because I, I think that it's, it's an issue which can be very triggering to some people and I, I don't want to cause any offense or hurt. But ultimately, the solution to this story is these children shouldn't be allowed to be. And so essentially, they're kind of, I mean, they're murdered, right? Like they're blown up by a bomb. But ultimately, this story could potentially be looked at as almost like a, mo- a moral tale of, okay, well, if somebody is uh, is raped and becomes pregnant, then shouldn't they have the opportunity if they need to, to terminate that pregnancy? Maybe I'm reaching on this one. I really don't know. I was surprised that I didn't, at least on Wikipedia, I didn't obviously do too much research. Hmm. On Wikipedia, I didn't really find any analysis uh, because i expected mm-hmm. there to be a like a, a a segment on interpretations yeah of the story and i i i even looked at the wikipedia article for the for the novel and there wasn't really anything about that either mm. i'm sure there's something out there because of course um in 1950s science fiction movies often were an allegory for cold war era and communism and 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 all that kind of stuff so i was absolutely sure that there is something and i still am sure that there is something like that some mm. sort of interpretation and analysis um for for the midwich cuckoos and 
of course, the uh, village of the damned as well. Um, but yeah, at least not on the English language Wikipedia entries. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not something that uh, I'm best placed to discuss with any authority or knowledge. So, uh, you know, that that's a conversation that I'm sure other people have had somewhere. And uh, yeah. it, it might be one that needs a, a more uh, knowledgeable um point of view to to really have properly but it's something that popped into my head and and as usual yeah. when we're recording one of these things if something pops in my head it normally ends up out of my mouth so <laughs> um there we go um but with the, these aren't the only children are they right. and that's something that i really like about this story mm -hmm. is the fact that like this very quickly becomes a case of oh no this is an attempted invasion because it's not just one sleepy town in in the south of england like this is in russia it's in um was it antarctica or there was there was uh -oh. like a an yeah, inuit in, in, yeah i'm yeah i'm not really sure about the location yeah uh, but yeah in in inuit, inuit village <laughs> i think australia was among the right locations uh, but yeah several locations where something similar or more or less the same happened and, and for some reason it was only in the uk where the kids survived I think one other location. Oh, Russia. Surviving kids. Yeah. I think one in Russia because yeah. there's there were there were two locations in Russia. Getting back to the Cold in, War again. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was very surprised because so the, the they they tell us about all these locations and what happened to the children and and um, in, and I, I believe it was Irkutsk where they specifically mention the men murdered the children and yeah. the women. <laughs> and I thought to myself, right on, begging on the Russians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do say that the Inuit community, um, all of the children were murdered because they were seen yeah. as golden-haired demons or something. Because yeah. how could a, a community of Inuits um, father and mother a bunch of children with blonde hair? Which I can completely understand and kind of get behind. I mean, ultimately, when you realize what these children ended up being, like, yeah, absolutely. Murder every <laughs> single fucking one of them. Because um, <laughs> they're inherently evil. Like, th that that's the whole point of this uh, film as well, is that, like, nurture has fuck all to do with it where it comes to these particular children. Um, they are all about their nature, which is we are alien beings who have come to take over your world. Um, so you can guiltlessly say, yeah, murder the children, please. <laughs> <laughs> but the Russians also killed the women, and the movie they makes it a everyone. point to mention that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like this is the, the, here's some heavy-handed anti-communist propaganda for you. Yeah. Um, you know, in the UK, we literally just have one brave hero take out all the children in a school bombing. Yeah. Okay, right, fine. Do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? Uh, meanwhile, the Russians nuked a fucking town. <laughs> Everybody died. And I'm laughing because it's fiction. Nobody actually did. Um, I'm, I'm that evil of a bastard. I will just laugh at people being nuked. But yeah, like, uh, this is the thing. It's like the 1960s. We're right in the middle of the Cold War, which, of course, began when um, Germany was kind of carved up at the end of World War II. And Russia was just kind of like, well, we would like a little bit more, please. Um, not of Germany, just the world in general. Like there were tensions between political ideologies and Germany being the, I mean, you can speak more authoritatively on, on this than I can, Andy. Um, but Germany was kind of like the, um, the, 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Not the battle lines, but like it was the the frontier of communism meets capitalism. You know, yeah. East and West Germany literally being two halves of the same country run under different political ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, it really kind of forced a lot of tensions. And yeah, films like this definitely decided to uh, use them to their advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in hindsight, it is, or from our perspective, it is pretty clear that, yeah, the. We, we give the worst traits uh, in this in this yeah. situation to the Russians. So. Yeah, interesting. The, the, Inuits it's, had no political leanings whatsoever, so they, <laughs> they were just like demon children, kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that is. I mean, you, you can also interpret it interpret that as, of course, a very Western colonialist view of the situation because, yeah. The savages saw blonde hair, so they kill them all. <laughs> oh no! For, for absolutely, yeah. No, I I completely recognise that I'm speaking very much from a colonial point of view there. Yeah. Um, but like when actually when you kind of get down to it, the reasoning was solid, right? Like, okay, these children have blonde hair. That's weird. Um, <laughs> you know, um, at the end of the day, everyone killed the kids for one reason or another. Yeah. Because in in the in the English town we see the kids kill people or make them kill themselves. Mm-hmm. One guy they make um, run into a wall with his car, and the other guy they they make him shoot himself in the head with a shotgun. Because um, <laughs> for for quite some time they it, definitely the the protagonist. I need to look up the guy's name. Can always just call him the protagonist. Um, oh, um, uh, Professor Gordon Zellaby. The Zellaby, yes, yeah. who, who is um, a a character, I believe, directly from the novel because he is name checked mm-hmm. in all. He's name checked in two versions that I've seen. I've not watched enough of the miniseries to know who Zellaby is supposed to be. I think it might actually mm-hmm. be female lead, so they may have gender swapped uh, Zellaby in this one, which I'm fine with. Yeah, of course. Professor Zellaby, who sounds like he's on the planet of the apes. Or the magic roundabout. He's, Time he's... for bed, <laughs> said Zellaby. <laughs> Dr. Zayas and Professor Zellaby. Oh, um, so yeah, he, he thinks um, he can teach the children and they can learn from the children. And uh, for some time, they even discuss if, if this is just the next evolution of mankind, if there's a, a jump in, in mutations and, and uh, the, like every whatever couple of thousand years there's, there's an unexpected rapid jump um, mm. in, in 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 the human evolution and this may just be um yeah the next stage the the x-men <laughs> of their time um until they yeah realize that these kids are evil um the whenever they manipulate someone they get these glowing eyes and i found it very interesting how they did that visually because it's always a freeze frame they, so they, mm. they they freeze like the, the face of the child and then superimpose the the, the glowing um we, I, my, my assumption is that it is that the process of getting that glow into the eyes is easier on a still image than a moving image. it's probably it's probably <laughs> a, a budget thing as much as a, a technical thing because i would i would imagine that it's done through um some form of animation almost uh like you you literally take the still frame and then you paint on the effect of glowing eyes 
um, and then animate it through a series of the same still with different amounts of, of glow. What I did find very interesting was there's one specific scene where they use that still frame uh, image, but they attempt to make it look as though it's still moving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when they're doing the, uh, the the barley sugar test, and one yep. woman has got the her uh, kid in her arms, and there's this objectionable little shit who just steals the box and says, I want it, it's mine. And then one of these kids basically just mind controls him into giving it back. I'm genuinely surprised that's all that they made him do. I thought he was going to stick his head in a toilet and flush it or something. Um, <laughs> but the the scene where that kid's eyes light up, they actually have like a three-quarter split screen mm-hmm. and the mother's head to the right-hand side is still moving. And it's kind of a shame that they didn't think ahead and mount the camera to a tripod because the real telling um, thing about that scene that tells you how they did it is that the wallpaper behind them is kind of mismatching and jostling backwards and forwards and oscillating. And it's just like, oh, okay, (laughs) I I see what you've done here. That's a shame. Um but I, I didn't mind it. I thought that the using a still image of the children actually added to the creepiness of it in oh, a yeah. way, um, because they it almost gave you the feeling that they just stopped moving and were almost like mannequin like, and that gave them that extra alien feeling that uh, you wouldn't necessarily get if they just had golden eyes. Um, interestingly, again, I know I keep referring back to other versions that I've seen, but it seems pertinent. In the radio adaptation, the kids had golden eyes all of the time. And I think in the miniseries, I think they have regular eyes and they glow when they use their powers. Although, don't quote me on that. I've only seen one of the children and it was for like two seconds at the very beginning of the first episode because they do this flashback thing. Um, I'm trying to think of what I've seen I think John Carpenter's version, they definitely have like that peroxide blonde hair and they look creepy as fuck, but I don't think that they had golden eyes. So I think the radio version might be the only one that insists that the children always have golden uh, colored uh, eyes and the rest of them go with the idea that their eyes only turn gold when they use their powers. As to which one is accurate, I don't know. I just looked on the Wikipedia article for the book. Mm because I thought that's probably the source that to tell us. Absolutely. <laughs> so, when the 31 boys and 30 girls, you were correct. Hooray, I was right. <laughs> when the 31 boys and 30 girls are born, they appear normal except for their unusual golden eyes, light blonde hair, and pale silvery skin. Ah, oh, yes, the skin. I forgot yeah. about the skin. It's easy in so, a black and white movie. You don't have to paint them up with silver skin. And it is easier to s- describe... Uh, a child in a novel that has golden eyes than do that in a movie. This <laughs> so is true. I'm pretty sure that is why they um, decided to only use the glowing effect in certain instances when they use their power. For, for one, you accentuate the use of their powers. Mm. And of course, technically, it's easier to, as you described it, animate the eyes on a still frame than have the 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 child actors have these glowing eyes all the time yeah having said that da vinci resolve is such a powerful piece of of kit um it's it's a free video editor that a lot of professionals actually use 
Um, you you can very easily in post just isolate someone's eyes and make their color their their eyes whatever color you want. If only um, they had that in 1960. <laughs> this is true, but I was speaking more about the fact that the yeah. miniseries from memory didn't have the golden eyes as a permanent feature. And, yeah. and I that, think that, you make a great point about accentuating the use of powers there. And of course, there again, we may have an an influence from the movie back then yeah. and the makers of the TV series deciding, okay, we have these, these two versions with which are we going to go and then we decide we, we take the movie version because we think it is more impactful to yeah. accentuate the the power with with this visual cue mm. um, and and of, of course as i've just said um modern editing suites make it so easy to make multiple versions of that kind of scene yeah. that you could very easily film everything and then when you're editing it together you could make some test scenes with the kids with their eyes gold all the time and gold just when they use their powers and you can give that to whoever's in power to make the decision and say which one do you think works best or the director can just make that decision for themselves i, I would prefer to think the director makes the decision but we know better than that really um even so, back yeah. then in 1960 there were Two versions for the um, reading from Wikipedia yeah. for the original release of the film in Britain. Censors removed the glowing eye effects. UK really? prints without the glowing eye eyes effects show that during the final sequence in the close-ups, the kids widen their eyes as they attack Zelaby's mind. Unlike the freeze frames with added glowing eyes used in the American prints. Another example is a slight smile that David makes after setting one of the villagers on fire in the UK print. The freeze frames of the American print do not contain such subtle detail. So, well, yeah, difference between UK and, and US. I hate to bring up Blade Runner. Um. <laughs> it's always good to bring up Blade Runner. Well, then. Um, no, I, I think that's been run into the ground. I think everyone understands the, the reference I'm going to make there, so I won't bother. Um, but it seems like, and, and this isn't actually even aimed at American audiences because I think that audiences, generally speaking, pick up on things a lot more than um, filmmakers tend to think they will. But it does seem like focus groups and um, distributors don't trust American markets as much as they seem to trust European ones. And I don't know if that's through anything other than just general ignorance of the actual ability of the audience to see things or if there are actual metrics behind it that prove that they need to dumb things down or and dumb things down is the wrong term but you, you get what I'm, I'm saying here um, there has to be a reason for it but I I know an awful lot of people. Maybe my sample size is too small and too curated, but I know a lot of Americans, and I think most of them can pick up on this shit. Like, I don't think they need uh, things spelled out for them to the degree that a lot of films seem to. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> so, yeah, the the kids um, have some people kill themselves, and Zellaby decides, okay, this, this cannot go on. Now we have proof that this these kids are evil and we very much uh, have the hints that this is an alien invasion i think the kids even say something uh to that effect not not as spelled out but yeah and then as you described he 
decides to go on a on a suicide mission. He um, trains himself because, of course, the the kids can read his mind. He trains himself to think of a brick wall um, so that the kids cannot read his mind uh, for the few moments while he waits for the bomb to explode. Mm. And yeah, and then there, there's a, a last effect shot where, like, within the explosion, we see the the eyes of the children, like, yeah. float away, <laughs> which I was not sure how to interpret. It seems like, from what I read, um, everyone's dead, so Zellaby and the children, but the 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 floating away of the eyes does that mean like the i don't know the the alien minds are returning to their home base or is it just yeah. a, a, a cute effect visual that's candy it's a good question and i'm not entirely sure like i think my interpretation at the time was oh that's the consciousness of all of the aliens escaping yeah. um but I don't know if that means like well we're we're going to have to deal with them again because they're just going to find new hosts or or what because they 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 settle on this um, explanation with absolutely no proof whatsoever in in typical British governmental fashion. Um, oh well, it must have been frequencies sent from other worlds. We're sending radio frequencies out all the time. Of course, if alien civilizations that are more advanced than our own were able to send signals to us, perhaps they could somehow get our women pregnant through radio. And I'm like, there is not a single radio program on Earth or in the cosmos that is capable of making women pregnant. Not unless... You don't know that? You have no idea what's going on on other planets, how many... How many aliens we have impregnated? <laughs> Let me finish the joke, Andy. Good oh, I'm lord! Sorry, it's going to say not unless you can point me in the direction of a Barry White twenty four seven radio station. That would do the job. Uh, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I, I, we, we have no idea what uh, talk sport on medium wave could potentially be doing to the anatomies of uh, various aliens out there in the cosmos and. I guess it's up to us to apologise for uh, for for uh, the uh, the litany of uh, Alan Brazil lookalikes that have been born on alien worlds recently. Um, that's a reference that I get and no one else does, and that kind of makes me a little bit happy. Actually, <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there is another effect that I wanted to draw attention to, which comes just before that, which is when he's under attack from them. And he's in his mind palace with his brick wall protecting um, his secret. We get this image of a brick wall being uh, knocked down and mm -hmm. a clock being kind of hidden behind it. And I, I just really like that image. And I, I don't yeah. know why, because it's not a massively complicated one to construct. It's literally just a fake brick wall with, with a clock and you overlay it and you make it slightly transparent. And that's basically all you have to do. I'm sure it's a lot more difficult than that with 1960s film technology. Um, but it just, it worked for me because it immediately evoked this idea of like what is in his mind and what's effectively happening to this image that he's trying to focus on. Like the children are, are literally battering it down with their own minds to reveal the secret behind it. Um, the radio show 
again from memory the uh, the radio drama doesn't ever make it clear that the kids can actually read people's minds it seems more like in the radio show that it's a case of they can use their minds to affect other people and to move objects and to stop cars from working and things like that to make them steer into verges so they're They've got psychokinetic powers rather than psycho... Oh, God. Psychokinesis? No. Telepathy. Telepathy, telepathy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I kept trying to use the word psycho. Um, so that they're, they're much more um, of that kind of ilk, whereas in the film they go the whole hog and they're like, oh, no, they can do everything that you can do with your mind. Uh, they can read minds. They can move shit. They can turn things off and on. They can set people on fire. They can force you to turn your gun on yourself and all that malarkey. So I don't know which one is right, which one's wrong. I find the film version more frightening because if you can't keep a secret from them, then your intentions are going to be clear from the get-go, which is why the guy ends up shooting his head off because they can still feel that murderous intent in his mind. I'm sure of it. Um, there's a line that they use in relation to that kill which is, uh, what use are your laws to us? And I like that line, but I prefer the full quote, which I th at least I think it's the full quote. Again, disclaimer, haven't read it. Um, in the radio show, they're confronted about their actions and they say, what use are your laws to us? You only persecute or you only prosecute criminals when they've been successful. And that really gives more weight and justice and, and, and justifies their actions more because essentially they're operating from a position of pure logic. We're going to defend ourselves because the only justice that we're going to see is from our graves. And so we're going to make sure that you can't kill us. Like that makes a lot more sense when you think of it like that. But maybe the filmmakers were slightly worried that if they tried to make if, if they were to include that full quote that perhaps it would dull the sense of the children being an evil force and the idea of somebody blowing up a school full of children because they may or may not be evil is not as easy to digest as one where the children are definitely evil and we need to get rid of them um, but i do like that full quote better because hmm. it, it really kind of it makes you think. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Could also be a case of the censors not ha wanting to have such an idea out there. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, back like, in the day. Yeah, but yeah, it's very, very, um, very interesting. Um, this is the shittiest invasion ever. <laughs> I mean, so we're relying on impregnating women. Them all birthing the children mm. um then um feeding the children uh teaching the children uh and when does the actual invasion take place so we, we we've um learned that i don't know however many locations maybe eight um um eight locations where these these <laughs> invasions happen most of them just kill the children <laughs> then there's there's two where they keep the children for 
a few years and then kill the children? Mm. <laughs> um, what what was the plan here? Where where was this invasion supposed to go? When would the actual invasion have taken place? At what point? Well, I I, I think <laughs> that if you if you uh, from memory. I know for sure they mentioned this in the radio on the radio, but I, I don't know. I can't remember with the film. I think they do say in the film as well. The reason that Russia ends up nuking that town is because the children had already taken over. Like they had fully matured and they had taken over to the point they couldn't be stopped. And the only way to stop them was to hit them with something that nobody knew about, which is why they ended up being nuked by, uh, by, by Moscow. Um, I don't know if the idea was that they were going to take over in in the sense of repopulating the earth with their own people i think it's more of a conquest thing i i think it's a case of and and again like the i only remember them mentioning that there were four locations where it had taken place so i i think eight might be for the film but if we go with that number of eight like okay so how many continents are there like well there's america europe asia uh australia And I guess you could possibly count the poles as separate. Um, so eight groups is probably enough to run all of those places. Um, I think it's a conquest thing. I, I think it's very much a case of we're going to send down these children. They're going to take over. And then we have another planet to add to our collection. And if we ever need resources or this or that or the other, then we'll just take over. But we'll basically use it as a staging post and then we can maybe move on from there. Um, interestingly, what I, it, this isn't like a, um, invasion of the body snatchers, right? Like this isn't a case of, oh, we're going to take over completely. This is our planet now. I, 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 We never see any evidence of that. Um, but the thing is, if you look at nature for the template of this, like this makes perfect sense because, I mean, the clue is in the name, the Midwich Cuckoos, right? Cuckoos, literally, this is how they do it. They don't bring their own young up. They lay an egg in someone else's nest. The cuckoo hatches and then it pushes all of its nest mates out of the nest. So it's the only bird left. And the parent birds, for some reason, cannot tell or don't care that the cuckoo chick is not theirs anymore. Um, and so they continue to feed it until it grows up uh, so that it can leave the nest and the cycle continues. So if it happens in nature, then it's understandable that there may be some aliens uh, races that use this as a template. But maybe they underestimate mankind. Maybe they just see humans as being as dumb as birds when perhaps it's not a case of us being more intelligent than birds. It's a case of most of us are just more superstitious or mistrusting. And, you know, that ultimately is what ends up saving our asses, which I don't think is a very positive message for the future of mankind. We will survive because we don't like each other. Okay, fine, if you want. <laughs> Um, but I, I didn't, I, I thought that it was a realistic plan in as much as it's templated on something that does occur in nature mm. and very successfully. Otherwise the cuckoo wouldn't be around anymore. Um, but, but uh, uh, yeah. Birds grow up way quicker than, 
human children. I well, think so do the these children. With this yeah, but, but no, <laughs> yeah, quicker, but not as quick as the birds do. No, because, that's true. Uh, and the, as as we see in the movie, the taking over doesn't work. Several um, eight was probably too much. Maybe it was something between four and six or so. I don't remember. Mm. But still, most of them immediately kill the children. <laughs> yeah, and the, because children they they cannot defend themselves and then the other two locations where they keep the children alive they kill the children too and with different measures but still uh and it, they didn't really have a chance so the there was no big in... battle they, yeah, the... yeah. <laughs> I, I think maybe the downfall of their plan was the whole blonde hair silver skin gold eyes <laughs> thing like if, if they had tried to make them blend in a little bit more yeah. you'd still struggle because you'd be like how come every woman in this village has given birth at the exact same time um but coincidences can happen i guess but yeah the whole we all got pregnant at the same time we all gave birth within um like you know seven or eight months and all of the children look exactly the same look and maybe they should have tried to take over scandinavia first um maybe that's the problem <laughs> maybe this is the problem is, is that they sent a scout party they went to sweden they were like okay we get it they came back <laughs> and then they fucked it all up uh <laughs> sweden needs to be thanked for the human race's survival <laughs> frankly yeah it's uh they they give mankind so much time to learn everything about the children that Zellaby and, and, and other people realize what's going on and they can defend themselves. So it's it's mm. it's, a, it's just too slow of an invasion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um what do you think of the of the movie in its entirety? Were you entertained? Um did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I was. I was. Um, I, I didn't think it overstayed its welcome. You know, you, you said earlier it's a 77-minute runtime. Um, I I thought that the beginning was paced well enough. It did a good job of explaining uh, all of the things that I mentioned earlier to do with the setup and discovery of the problem in the town and everything. Um, I th the, One of the problems that I had with it was I don't think it did a good enough job of explaining the timeline of the children growing up. And this is a problem that it shares with the radio drama as well. They just jump time frames without really telling you that they're jumping time frames. Uh, now, at least with the, with the film, they do say at some point um, that it's been like three years or whatever. So you, you do get a feeling for how much time has passed. But I... Ironically, given the fact that I just went on that little diatribe about how American audiences should be trusted more to pick up on stuff, I wouldn't have minded a little three years later um, text on the screen when they jumped times. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that's just me wanting things spelled out uh, all the time. I, uh, I I think it's good. It's, it's well acted. Um, I thought the camera work was good. There were some interesting uses of special effects that we've already talked about, like the eyes and the uh, the wall being broken down. Um, the stunt work. Let's have a little call, uh, you know shout out to the stunt work. I, I don't think it would have been um, the safest thing in the world running a tractor into yeah. a tree and yeah. get it right first time. 
And I don't yeah. think it would have been the safest stunt because you can always topple something over and there's not a cab on that tractor. So you would have been in trouble. So, you know, it looks bloody tame compared to stunts that you see done nowadays. Of course it does. But a little shout out to them for, you know, doing little things here and there. Set dressing was very good. Having a car halfway up an embankment, you know, people collapsed all over the place. Uh, yeah, generally, I, I thought it was uh, nicely made, told the story well. Um, possibly one of the most uh, uh, worst worst planned invasions of all time. Um, yeah, for sure. But at least they weren't invading a planet that was made up of two thirds of the thing that they can't stand. <laughs> you know, I've... I'm just going to throw that shade out there for anyone that's picking up what I'm putting down. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun film. I enjoyed it. Um, Andy, what, what did you think of it? I liked moments. I mm -hmm. didn't think that the movie as a whole did quite keep my attention. It didn't quite keep the suspense up to really have me engaged. Mm in what was going on but yeah these these scenes like all the women realizing they're pregnant the the moment when the guy shoots himself you only see his his hand pulling the trigger but you you know what's going on and, and then the reactions um to that moment and um also the the, the brick wall moment that you described that, that special effect towards the end so there's there's m quite many elements well, that was weird there's quite a bunch of elements uh, <laughs> wasn't much better english anyway um that i that i liked that i enjoyed i i mentioned earlier that i was surprised how kind of slow how, how much time the movie takes for the for the setup um and then still i felt that for the for its 77 minutes it felt longer <laughs> mm. um uh although the, the the whole part with the children um jumps quite a bit um as you just described um granted i was quite tired today when i watched the movie but still, yeah, I, I think it's it's okay. I think it's fine. Um, it's a classic worth seeing. Um, it's not a movie that I'm very keen on rewatching. Um, sure. Um, because for that, it is. Uh, I don't know. It's still still a little a little stiff in how it tells the story. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. I like the exteriors better than the interiors. The interiors felt quite stiff from the camera work um at times at least what i also found very interesting very sparse use of music only in like the the tense moments mm. um when when the kids use their powers um the movie uses music to yeah to to, to strengthen those moments um maybe that's also something that was kind of missing a little i don't know something to the Something to to accentuate the the conversations that that conversations with all uh, conversation with all the men around the table uh, discussing how are we gonna proceed. <sighs> yeah, I mean that was 
that, that wasn't the most entertaining uh, <laughs> sequence in the movie. That was kind of uh, that dragged. Hey, look, competent governance should not be entertaining. I mean, said this Shin Godzilla. I didn't like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was my Shin Godzilla moment in there Village of the Damned. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I, I think that um, what you said about like you know, it's um, it was a movie that was worth watching, but it, it, it's not one that you're probably going to be reaching for again anytime soon. I, I think that's absolutely fine. There are movies out there that I think are worth watching that need to be watched, but don't qualify as a movie that you're going to watch over and over again you know it's it's a movie it's it's not necessarily that conversation of eat your vegetables right like i don't think that this is a case of eating your vegetables but i think it's definitely a movie that um is worth having seen so that when the conversation comes up about alien invasion movies or you know if somebody asks you what was what was the best in alien invasion uh, plan that you've uh, that you've ever seen in a film you can say well i don't know but i can tell you the worst <laughs> i'll give you a top three worst yeah. one one of them was a hydrophobic uh group of aliens that invaded a planet made of water uh <laughs> another one was uh, an alien race that thought that sending a bunch of uh, ubermensch to every corner of the planet was a great idea and wouldn't be at all sus and uh, the third one, I haven't quite made my mind up yet, but bear with me because I will find one. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think it's it's absolutely fine for a movie to be like that, you know, like it's it's a movie that everyone knows by name, if not having seen it. That was the case for us until this week. Um, but I, I, you know, there, there are some movies that I think you just kind of you need to see so you can round out your catalog of of movies that you've seen and you've experienced and you can talk about and you don't have to go back and watch them again you don't even have to have enjoyed them um but i think sometimes it is worth just eating your vegetables go on i said it um (laughs) of course i mean it's but only if you're really into that kind of stuff if it is one to strike off the list because that is something that we do we talk about horror movies and science fiction movies and it is one of those classics and at some point you just you reach that point where you think okay i i i need to correct that i, I haven't seen village of the damned yet I, I need to do that because that is something that i'm the whole the genre movie history whatever something that i'm interested in mm-hmm. and at some point i just need to have seen village of the damned okay tick seen it now but if someone exactly. comes up to me and says recommend a movie to me um, village of the damned is not on the list no <laughs> No, no, no. It will be the guest and then everything else afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we have established this long in our past and we will continue to ride that train until it derails. <laughs> until the guest too comes along. Yep, and then, then there will be a conversation to be had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You already hinted at maybe picking a movie uh, we mentioned for your double feature pick. Have you made up your mind? Yeah, I was going to do that, and then I thought, no, no, let's not do that. Um, instead, I'm I'm going to go with the radio drama, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know it's a really obvious pick, and it's a lazy one and all that, but I did find great value in having listened to the radio drama and then watching the film, because I was able to compare certain things and contrast how they did this versus how they did that. And... To be honest with you, 
I think maybe the radio drama is better. Um, it's slightly longer, but it's mm-hmm. something that you can listen to as you do other stuff. Um, it's certainly something that I would recommend to people that are fans of listening to their entertainment. So uh, I'm just going to go with the super lazy option and say um, the uh, the 1982 adaptation which I can't remember now if it was... I'm pretty sure it was called um, The Midwich Cuckoos, but I'll, I'll double-check it yeah. before I uh, I put it on the on the list for, today, mm-hmm. for today's episode. Yeah. How yeah. about you? I mean, good pick. Of, of course, I've, you've, you've probably picked uh, your favorite horror movie of all time uh, a few times over the years. The double feature picked the Donald Sutherland in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Of course. Or is it just called Body Snatchers? No, it's Invasion oh. of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and, and you mentioned that one earlier, uh, so you could have also picked that one, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I picked Edgar Wright's World's End, The World's End. Um, nice, yeah. Completely different uh, kind of invasion of a small English town, um, but yeah, for some reason that one came to mind, and I thought, yeah, well, why not pair Village of the Damned with something with a with a at least a, a kernel of of a similar conceit, but then a completely different execution, different direction. But they also have these have glowing eyes. Uh, I think blue. I think they they have. I think so. Blue eyes. Yeah, uh, so. yeah and they yeah, open their mouths maybe. and the light comes out of there as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the. But anyway, I, I could write probably took took from many movies uh to inform his and uh, as as we thoroughly discussed last year he is he is like a professor of english movies <laughs> and uh so of course he's taking from village of the damned and well everybody snatchers in um variation probably and anyway yeah village of the damned and Edgar Wright's The World's End. Of course, without The World's End, we probably wouldn't have ended up with that awesome bathroom fight between Henry Cavill and uh, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. So uh, <laughs> we should we should always thank... Uh, I'm joking. I mean, that was going to happen anyway. <laughs> but I just remember one of my highlights of The World's End is that fight in the bathroom. It's yeah, just a really, yeah. really fun and over-the-top fight. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so that was... Village of the Damned, and as I mentioned earlier in this episode, we are announcing our next three episodes. Um, so we decided we would do a short series of three episodes, and it's a uh, it's about adaptations, it's about remakes and new adaptations, and and, and all that stuff. So we are going to delve into Clive Barker's Hellraiser mythos and next week we will discuss the original text Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart the short novel which then was adapted by Clive Barker himself as a movie Hellraiser from the 1980s that is then the the following episode and our third episode will be on the latest adaptation by David Bruckner from last year um so, Hellbond Heart next week, the week after that, the 1980s um, first Hellraiser first movie, and then in the third week, the latest um, adaptation of the of the novel. Um, unless 
something happens where we have to postpone one of these episodes or so, but that's the plan for the next three episodes. Mm. Very much looking forward to that. Um, so if you want to read along, get the book. It's under 200 pages, so you should be able to read it within a week. And if you do so, let us know via our social media accounts or our email address, of course. Um, looking forward to David being back and then, um, yeah, doing... And, and we did not plan that, but it just comes to mind. It is, of course, uh, Clive Barker is, is British, so it is kind of a British-themed uh, topic next week. Just in time. For Eurovision in Liverpool, isn't yeah, Life Barker boy. even from Liverpool? Oh God, I, I don't know. Think, uh, let me look that up. Is he a scouser? Let me look that up. He might because be a scouser. It's very possible that he is from Liverpool. Life Barker, Liverpool. Yeah, yes. born in Liverpool. Couldn't well, have planned it better without even planning it. That does explain an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we had all that postponing to do over the last few weeks oh, it's, all, it's all come together very nicely <laughs> wonderful so uh, Liverpool themed episode next week uh, so yeah read the hell by heart watch your revision come back next week thank you for listening bye bye okay sorry calm down calm down they do though don't they This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.